All right, um, Kellen, it's nice to see you. Loving your background there in South Florida. And um, I am here in Accra, Ghana, although I don't have quite that background, but we do have beautiful backgrounds here in Accra. Um, my name is Krista Sanders Babtoya, and I'm the campus director of Webster University's Accra campus. I've been working in the field of study abroad and international education for, hey, over two decades now, I'll, I'll say that. And it's been an amazing uh, experience, uh, particularly living on the African continent. I've also been blessed to travel to over 65 countries. Uh, so I'd like to see myself as a global citizen of this world and a black woman abroad. Um, I started a book with my sister called Black Women Abroad, so stay tuned for that. And we're also doing a number of educational and cultural immersion tours. We like to call them boutique travel experiences uh, in efforts to expose our people uh, to the world at large and particularly to empower uh, Black women to travel outside of their comfort zone and to make an impact uh, globally. Uh, so that's a little bit of what I'm doing. I also started a scholarship program through Black Women Abroad, starting at my alma mater, uh, Spelman College. I'm a proud member of an HBCU. Um, and so we're hoping that more students, not just from Spelman, but from other HBCUs and universities throughout the United States and world will get the opportunity to travel abroad, study abroad, uh, do community service, and really experience what it is to live outside of, again, their comfort zone. So I guess that's a little bit about me. I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, let me give a shout out to Philly. <laughs> uh, technically, I say Philly. I like to claim Philly, but I'm really um, a mainline girl. For those who know uh, Philadelphia and its outskirts, but I'm a suburban girl. I come from about 15 minutes outside of Philadelphia, a town called Bryn Mawr. It's a college town, uh, Bryn Mawr College, Haverford, Swarthmore, etc. So that's the type of town I grew up in, Villanova University, not too far uh, from the city of Philadelphia. So that's where I'm from. And I've been in Ghana now for, uh, let's see, in September will be 19 good years uh, living in the nation, which was the first nation to be free from European rule. So this is a Pan-African nation, a Pan-African spirit did country. And I'm just really proud um, to have lived here and to interact with so many people from around the world who are interested in Ghana. So I guess that's my introduction. And you're the one who's supposed to be the interviewer, not me. So. <laughs> hey, yeah. it's Kellen. And today on Diversified Game, this one will be <laughs> a breeze, you guys, because we've actually already done it and then decided to take it a different direction. So Miss Kristen's right. going to give us the game on <laughs> heard what she's done in Ghana for the students mm -hmm. and also with from scholarships to a book with her sister. If you guys, you know, Ghana, over 5,000 of us there, she'll yeah. tell you 
She's loved it. She hasn't rushed back to come back and say, oh, please, somebody send me a GoFundMe. So if you want to learn how to do Ghana the right way, tune in and make sure you share this with a friend. Ms. Krista, welcome to the show. How are you doing Thank on this blessed so day? Thank you so much. I am doing fine. It's a rainy day in Accra, but still a beautiful day. We're in the rainy season over here, but we still get bursts of sunshine every now and then. So it's good. I'm I'm doing very well. I hope you're doing well too. Well, hey, we got we health, so we got wealth. We had nothing to complain <laughs> about at, at, at right. all, at all. That's right. Well, you know, it's one thing to be able to tap in and bring students to Africa, mm -hmm. and they can go for a quarter of maybe what their school may have cost in the states. But let's right. talk about you know what you're seeing and bringing people in with the travel and the book, of course, that you're writing. I can't wait for that to be finished because I want to pre-order. But tell us, the audience, what do they need to know before even contacting Black women abroad and what you can do for them? Because a lot of people, I think, are trying to travel to Africa on a budget because they heard, oh, all you right. need is $1,000 to live. Africa's so cheap. <laughs> but Africa can be very expensive if you don't do it the right way. So please right. share. Right. Well, you know, I think through Black Women Abroad, um, there's a variety of ways you can travel. So we would really want to help you design uh, travel based on your budget. Uh, of course, those boutique uh, curated experiences can go all the way up to even $6,000 a person, depending on, you know, what you want, how many days you want to stay, maybe a, a seven to nine day voyage. Uh, but it could also be a lot less than that. Um, I, for example, most of my life I've done budget travel. Um, it's not been until later in life that I've enjoyed more curated experiences. Uh, but let's just say that there's um, there's a package for every single budget. Really, there is. Um, I think one of the most expensive aspects of a trip to Ghana really is the plane ticket and obviously the lodging. But of course, there's all different types of accommodation now. Um, you can stay in a bed and breakfast, you can do Airbnb, you can do a luxury four or five star hotel, three star hotel, um, you can camp. I mean, it really depends. And I think the beauty of Black Women Abroad, my sister and myself, Jeanette Iris Dubs, she has traveled extensively throughout the world as well. Um, and she uh, comes also from a family, her immediate family of diplomats. And so she's traveled and lived in India and in Ethiopia, in Rwanda, in Mozambique. Um, she's got a lot of different experiences um, and has been putting together some packages also around Rwanda where she lived most recently. And so I really think it depends on you. You sort of share with us what your budget is, what you'd like to do, and then we um, put that package together. Um, I think also something that would distinguish what we're doing has to do with interacting with local people um, from the stakeholders of the various countries, whether it be in the government sector, entertainment sector, uh, arts communities, uh, community service uh, engagements, if that's what you'd like to have we like to tailor it uh, based on your interest. And I think also for a country like Ghana, given that I've lived here so long, there's a lot of interest from our global black community in year of return, right? Uh, which started back in 2019. 
under the auspices of President Nanado, the current president of Ghana. And that's been an incredibly uh, successful campaign with so many people coming into the country. In fact, I think I read recently since the year of return, uh, over 1,500, maybe even 2,000 uh, people of African descent have permanently moved um, to Ghana. So I think that says a lot. There's lots of opportunities for investment, for business. Um, you can be, if you will, a big fish in a small pond, if you like to say it that way, as opposed to some of our larger cities in the world where there's lots and lots of competition. Not to say that there's not competition in Ghana, but you have more of an opportunity to distinguish yourself, distinguish your business, and it's an open market uh, for business. It's an entrepreneurial spirit here um, in West Africa. And so I've seen a lot of those folks who decided to leave the United States and move here, set up very successful businesses. And those who've been here um, from as early as the 60s and 70s, along with many other famous African-Americans who visited Ghana back in those days, have really established great lives and legacies um, for themselves. And we're currently in the year beyond the return. And this is the period of time where we look at investment. So a lot of African-Americans, Caribbean Americans, uh, Black diasporans, Black, uh, excuse me, Black British, Black Canadians are really coming and also buying land, buying property and setting up businesses that can be quite lucrative. So I think there's something for everyone, really. Well, Ghana did such a great job besides the, you know, billion plus um, that was reportedly, you know, made throughout the country. Now you mm -hmm. have other countries yeah. taking that year return, which you guys are doing it all wrong. Um, maybe you need to go to Ghana and the consultants <laughs> who worked on that one and everything that they did. I don't right. want to call a country's name because I love the country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but there's a country this year trying to do it, and it's not the only one that I've seen. You're see. doing it wrong, and the problem okay. is they're right. trying to get an audience they don't know. The same right. way the problem when Black Americans go to Africa, it's not like America. No, that's why you're in Africa, because right. it's exactly. not like America. So exactly. we need each other to make things successful. Can you talk about, um, are there any you know, courses and I, and you know, I'm going to always, I, I know about the book, but is there any maybe prep that you can give or that you consult with? That means you guys pay her to get people <laughs> find right before right. coming to Africa. Right. I mean, well, I think, you know, when it comes to a lot of people are interested in purchase of real estate. So if they don't even move here permanently, having, if you will, a home that they come, can come to a couple months out of the year, um, also renting out property because you have so many people coming in. So definitely we could give advice on real estate options. We have a lot of friends and uh, contacts, a great network when it comes to real estate development and being able to purchase real estate. Um, we know also a lot of very successful African-American and diasporan business owners who we can connect you with um, in terms of giving viable tips um, in building business and building successful businesses in this part of the world that are also international and global. Um, so I think that there are really quite a few opportunities uh, through us uh, to be able to uh, learn more and prepare yourself adequately 
uh, for a trip here. Also, you know, my own training, because I've worked for a number of universities when I first came uh, back in 2004, I was fortunate and blessed to um, help New York University build its first, you know, study abroad program for semester and year uh, study options here in Ghana. And then later, you know, with Webster University, where I am right now, um, you really have to prepare yourself for the cultural experience, right? Can't come in with a certain mindset of the way that we do things in America. There's a lot uh, to learn here from the continent and, and uh, our people here. Um, so it's an exchange of information, right? And so I think there's certain uh, cross-cultural preparation that also needs to take place. Also looking at one's budget, how you want to live. There's so many different ways. I heard you say earlier, Helen, that you know living on the continent, people look at it as so cheap. Well, actually, Accra is one of the most expensive cities, if not the most expensive city on the African continent. So it depends how you want to live. If you want to live outside of Accra, there are plenty of viable options that are a lot cheaper than, let's say, living in the city and living in certain parts uh, of Accra. And so those are the kinds of things that we would also want to give um, advice on. I think there are a gazillion amazing books on West Africa and Ghana we could also uh, recommend. And outside of that, because I've worked in academia for such a long time, anyone who would come here, we'd want to um, connect you with the giants in the field of uh, higher education who could also talk a lot about different aspects of the history and the culture as part of an orientation to Ghana. And so I think that's what would make the experience also very distinct as opposed to just, you know, uh, going through uh, a regular tour um, company. And that's not to say anything negative about that because, you know, we work with many um, companies in the past through the universities that um, I have worked for, and they are also very wonderful in their own right. But to get that enriching experience through the uh, voice and thoughts of uh, those leaders in academia here on the continent could also be a wonderful difference. So those are some of the experiences I think can, can help prepare one uh, pre a trip to Ghana and also during uh, your time in Ghana. It's life-changing. That's what I'd like to say. I have family members who haven't been able to visit me in you know the 18 going on 19 years that I've been here, recently visited in November, and they were folks who were all about Paris and London. They were about that life. <laughs> Those wonderful European uh, cities, um, which also have something to offer. But, um, you know, after having visited Ghana, well, they are forever changed. They are literally forever changed and cannot stop spreading the word about Ghana. So. I, I love it. I love it. And, you know, she mentioned books and I tell the audience um, one book I think that you have to read, 101 Ways to Make Money in Africa by <laughs> Dr. Hartnett and JP, uh, you know, John Paul, who's been a guest on the show. Sure. Can you tell with people coming to your service, because we'll get into, you know, like the business side of it. People say, well, am I going to get the abroni? 
the foreigner price if I go through you? How much could I maybe save? Because that's the thing they hear how cheap it is until they hear your accent. Then things go up three times the price. <laughs> you, is your tree good enough where you can get them to a local price? Or should we even expect to pay a local price? Should we expect to pay a little more because we are foreigners and we are going to get it cheaper than we get it back home? Your thoughts? Well, I think you get it cheaper than back home. Um, and there'll be some portions that will be certainly on local prices. But when you look at putting together a boutique experience and bringing in different stakeholders and putting together receptions where, for example, you get to meet with local people, who are really the movers and shakers of the society. Obviously, there's an investment in that experience, right? I think it really depends on the traveler. It depends on the type of experience they want to have. And I think we're uniquely positioned to look at what you have to spend and what kind of output we'll be able to give. And it doesn't mean that if you're on, coming in on a lower budget that it won't also be a boutique experience. It will be, but it may not be a four-star hotel. It may be a different type of accommodation which is also, in my opinion, just as welcoming and just as wonderful in its own right. So I do think that there's um, something for everyone, honestly, and that should not be any kind of barrier um, for planning a trip um, to come to Ghana or Rwanda or Kebbad. I know we're here to talk more about Ghana, but there are other places in the world that we've also explored that we think um, every person, uh, should be able to experience at least once in their lifetime. Let's not mention beautiful places like Madagascar, one of the most beautiful countries I've seen in my lifetime. I mean, there's so much to discover um, on this very rich and diverse continent that we have, but we could start with Ghana as a, a beginning voyage. We can talk about it all because on your website, you know, and the links are in the description, you guys, you can check it out. There's these options. You know what the coolest part is? You can actually book these options. You can yes. book. So you don't have to just listen after you hear this and you hear this gentle spirit. And when she gives you advice, she's not just giving, this is not just someone giving you advice who went to Spelman. You know, we love the HBCU. <laughs> But she also has a degree from Columbia that dealt with counseling and, you know, school <laughs> psychology. So she knows something about the human, you know, how we all are a little quirky and weird. So <laughs> she can help you with that. And you're going to have to pay for that. So right. remember, I'm keep training you guys. Pay, pay, pay. Because without a transaction, there can't be a transition. But um, <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. That was very clever. <laughs> Thank you. And it's not, it's definitely not mine. Um, but we love that, you know, we, we listen yeah. and can repeat, but, and we, we thank God for our guests who, who give us the game as well. That's what the show is about. Right. Can you right. tell the people, because a lot of people look at Africa as like, I'm going to get away from the violence. I'm going to get away yeah. from the debt. I'm going to get away from the consumerism, right. but, right. but there's a big, but in there where, they go kind of not just entitled, but not ready financially. How do you get mm -hmm. yourself prepared financially? There's a lie out there saying you can't get a job in Africa. That's why I love having you on. Another reason <laughs> I love having you on. <laughs> but, you know, can you talk about that and where you would advise someone to be securely yeah. in their finances? Yeah. 
I mean, I definitely think that you need to have accumulated uh, significant savings. I mean, that depends on you what you would consider to be significant. But I can say uh, for myself, um, coming over here, I was very clear um, that I would need to already have something set up. And I'm just speaking for myself and my experience. Um, uh, I'm not uh, someone uh, like friends that I have that came over who had a plan, but were entrepreneurs and had a little bit of savings and came. And I've seen a number of people like that who've come with great dreams, a little bit of savings, but were not really able to develop um, the business because it's really it's really hard and really challenging as well. I, I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. Um, I was someone who was a little more conservative. And so I already had um, interviewed uh, for a position with um, an internationally recognized institution um, where I knew that I would be able to earn US dollars uh, because the currency you know, fluctuates quite a lot. And so I needed that type of stability. Um, a lot of these expat, if you will, contracts are also really wonderful because usually they come with uh, a provision for housing. So you don't have to really worry about that and a steady paycheck. And again, if you can negotiate it, that it would be in US dollars, then you'll be in a very good situation. So while those jobs are not, you know, let's say plentiful, they are there. Um, you just need to research very well. So I would not leave my country of origin, if you will. I don't know how you would describe that, but let's just say, speaking from the Philadelphia side, I would not have left Philadelphia if I did not have a, a plan, you know, and a plan that had some stability, a contract that I could sign and um, some sort of housing or benefits attached. Now, having said that, the majority of people that I know have not done it that way. And they've been able to come over and be successful, but they, they had amassed a bit of savings um, to be able to, let's say, survive anywhere from six months to a year without having steady income as they attempted to uh, lay a foundation for themselves. Most of the African-Americans I know here are in business and they're entrepreneurs and they have done well, but then you have some who've come and they haven't been able to really make it work and they've had to return. Um, and those who've returned have also gone back to sort of amass a little more savings and wealth to be able to return. So I'd say you really have to do your research. Um, thank goodness for things like LinkedIn, which when I came in 2004, I don't wanna say it didn't exist, but it certainly was not <laughs> where it is today. You know what I mean? So I think if you can get something uh, where you're gonna have some sort of stability and a contract before getting on the plane, that's the ideal scenario in my perspective. Otherwise, come with some decent amount of savings um, and with a plan, a very good business plan. That's what I would say. Thank you for that, because that will clear up a lot of things for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go somewhere that I think only my African business podcast goes. But mm -hmm. can you talk about, because I am the 
date doctor, semi-pro at this, four couples okay. married, right? And I tell right. people who are qualified for marriage, mm-hmm. come to Africa, give us a week or two. Of course, this is paid service, right? If if you take me up on it. Um, but you've met with some young 104-year-old chiefs in your time. Um, right. You see how even for men, they get to Africa, American men t- might have a wife and be told, hey, you want another one, right? In front of their <laughs> wife. Uh, women, women, the first day you meet them, somebody's trying to negotiate a bride price. Can you talk about, can you talk about that part because yeah. a lot of people are getting duped and they don't even know it. They just think it's all sweet, but they don't understand like their transaction a lot of times. Kellen, I see you keep it real on your show, don't you? We got the only way to be. Hey, they can't cancel us because we're not looking for anybody's approval. We just I give it again. Love it. I gotta love it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people do get duped. Uh, especially on the internet. You know, we've had this really strong relationship with the US Embassy with my current institution and my previous institution, I used to talk to our students about being really careful about um, getting involved with people who are really only focused on, you know, a visa, and that a lot of the scams that they're seeing are already through um, internet dating sites. So you do have to be very, very careful. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the the whole dating game, I haven't been in that dating game in a minute. I'm married, actually, um, to a Ghanaian, and there are, you know, a number of uh, wonderful uh, gentlemen uh, in this country. There are possibilities for marriage. I know a lot of uh, African-Americans who are in very successful relationships with Ghanaians, but, I mean, certainly there are those who are out there for a U.S. visa, uh, who would like to really go to United States. And um, so you have to, I'd say, be careful. I used to tell students, anyone who has time for you 24-7 a day <laughs> means that <laughs> they probably don't have that much going on outside of trying to devise a plan to, to leave the country. So it's so interesting. We want to leave America to come to Ghana, where Ghana represents freedom for us, right? And on this side, so many people are trying to leave, as we all know, for what seems to be or appears to be the land of gold, right? So I say that in these relationships, we have to be careful. We need to take time. I mean, cultural differences are real in cross-cultural relationships. So you have to be prepared to also navigate that. This is a very much a male-dominated society, even to this day. I'm one of very few women who are running an educational institution in this country. And, you know, honestly, has not been always that easy. But I've worked really hard to carve my own uh, position in the society. And so you have to realize that you're coming into that type of society as well as what that may mean, right? And the more traditional roles. Now, having said that, Ghanaian women, African women are some of the strongest women I know, right? Some of the strongest women I know. And we see Um, So many changes now, for example, in parliament and representation of women, uh, representation of women in uh, the upper echelons of society and sectors um, from education, business, uh, in the, you know, medical field, sciences, etc. So things are changing, but it takes time. So I guess the low end of all this is just to be cautious 
just as you would be in the United States, but just know that there are people out there who um, are very strategic. I may not be really just interested in you. <laughs> so that does happen and one has to be careful um, in, in the process. So now we have to go, cause now you have you guys and ladies listening two married people who are married to um, Africans born there. I'm, you know, by passport yeah. now, I can call myself a full African and no one can argue like they used to. Right. Not African. Okay, well, passport <laughs> says different, right? Right. Can you, can you talk about and uh, get the people aware, like when you get married to an African, it's old school. Mm -hmm. It's, you're not just marrying that person, you're marrying the family. Oh, so when yes. the family member gets sick, you're yes. taking care of, whether yes. that's financially or they're in your house. You right. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tell you have to negotiate that. We have a negotiation in my marriage on things like that, but yes. <laughs> yes, but, okay. I mean, but, it's, the, it's the sense of marriage. You know, the, the yeah. marriage that we're kind of accustomed to in the U.S., you fall in love, it's this perfect union. If your mommy, daddy isn't, perfectly aligned with that person. It doesn't necessarily mean you're not gonna marry that person. Well, over here, it's a little bit different, right? Um, first of all, there's also a lot of tribalism here in this part of the world. Um, now things are changing, uh, but different ethnic groups obviously marrying certain ethnic groups that has just been part of it. Uh, but for us marrying into the culture, you marry into the family. You don't marry just your spouse, as you mentioned, you marry the entire family. And yes, there are obligations around that. So for example, uh, different traditions, I mean, funerals are very big here. They're not like the funerals of the US. They're very colorful, cultural uh, celebrations of life. You will be obligated um, to, to be going to such celebrations and also contributing financially um, to those celebrations. Um, no matter what the ceremony, no matter what it may be, um, you're expected to be a part of that. I mean, Kellen, I'm sure you have had experiences. I think you, you said uh, your spouse is from Cameroon, is that correct? Yes. Yes, and you know somebody every day is being born or dying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a goat or a cow to give, you know, <laughs> often. Yes, 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 yes. Having said that, though, there's, there's beauty in the familial bond. So, for example, a challenge in marriage, Kellen, uh, it's just, you know, we all know that marriage, um, it, it's, it's, it, it seems like uh, sometimes people are more addicted to the wedding than the actual marriage, if you will, but it's a lot of hard work. If there's ever any challenge in the marriage, it's not something that the two of you work out. Sometimes full families become involved in the negotiation of what's happening. And actually, I mean, in some senses, some may say, well, that's an invasion of privacy. Others might say, well, that's actually really special um, because divorce rates are not necessarily what they are in the United States. Now that's changing a little in Ghana today due to the influence of the West, I believe, but people are in marriage because two families are marrying, not two individuals. And, it, and it's not that the same things don't happen because the world is all crazy doing the same things. Right. 
you know, it, it's, does it don't, you guys, we don't want to paint Nirvana because I tell people marriage is a business. And if you don't love mm-hmm. your partners, it, it, it's, you know, it's okay to be single. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's okay, but you have to be able to be flexible and agile. And you mm-hmm. have probably seen out there people getting into things that they mm-hmm. didn't know what they were getting into right. and thinking they right. were being taken advantage of, yes. even off, you know, sometimes even off, you know, colorism can be a big thing in Africa yes. and someone yes. looking at you like oh well your wife has it I know she has it she got right. that nice Based job on it. you yes. know yeah right yes that happens that happens too and that's that's a huge challenge um for example you could be uh going on a trip or something and all of a sudden it looks like you're responsible for the bill for the entire table. Well, why would that be the case? Because you're a foreigner, because you're a Bruni. In fact, I was just talking to, I have a study abroad group with me right now from an HBCU, and they were surprised about this terminology, all Bruni, which means foreigner or white person, and that many of us may be considered that. And I told them, well, your response to that is no, uh, Bibini, which means African. Right. And that's how I normally respond. And we all should respond because at the end of the day, this is our homeland. This is our collective homeland. Yeah. And you have such a nice response. Be me, me is what she says to say. I say, <laughs> tell them, well, why am I that? And who sold me? Who was the first one to sell me? Huh? And, and, and what's your grandfather, great grandfather had? Like I go another another route with another it. level. Yeah. That's good, too. That's yeah. good, too. Maybe I maybe I used to do that. I, I may have grown tired of doing that. <laughs> it seems Bibini is the easiest way out of that one. <laughs> well, you, you you know, and I love that. I'm gonna use that one, but I say that because my mother-in-law told me many moons ago. She said, mm-hmm. you know, while you guys fight for reparations here, Africa right. owes you something. Africa right. had something to do with that, and um, yes, to make Africa absolutely. pay. So yeah. I'm coming to get yeah. what's mine, no matter what country in Africa I go to. I'm right. coming to connect always, but you're yeah. not going to treat me because you know, you mm-hmm. know, if you have this app still, my WhatsApp, I can't even put notifications on. I know so many Africans. And the same thing <laughs> I say about family, when you meet right. people and you tie in and they can right. easily ask you for, you know, every day somebody, hey, you have some money. I have this great business idea. Am yeah, I the no, only person you know? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Or, you know, the I think the greatest one is when you travel outside of Ghana, the U.S., Europe, wherever you're going, let's say you're going to the West, for example, the first question here will be, what did you bring me? <laughs> and the first thing, you know what I say? I brought you my smile and I brought myself back to the continent. It is so good to see why I've missed you these weeks. <laughs> That's what I've learned to do. Now, in the beginning, when I first came, I mean, literally, I was sweating. I'd have luggage. All of the, you know, people were shipping things uh, to my father's house left and right until I realized I was the person who was sweating and getting backaches for carrying everybody's luggage. I had one of those just the other day. And, you know, you learn in a very polite, respectful way as the culture is so respectful to say, no, thank you. Yes. <laughs> And, and it's your right to be able to protect your peace, people. And you yes. get to say no. Nobody gets to be a, a vampire sucker of your time, body, or spirit. So absolutely, I, I, absolutely, I absolutely. 
Yes, and I'd like to say that over my time here in the 19 years, I have incredible Ghanaian, West African uh, friends um, who are also global and you meet plenty of them as well. And I love the exchange that we have. Um, so, you know, I've got sort of friends and networks in every corner of the society. And I think that Ghana is a very hospitable and warm place. And so there's a place for everyone. And you'll find some people who fit that stereotype and then you'll find some who are absolutely the opposite of that. And so you just open yourself up to the experience. But what you're talking about are some very real <laughs> experiences that people live every day as well. Yeah. Do you, do you find, I guess it's different because you, you're married um, and I don't, you know, you may or may not have citizenship, but you're comfortable there. That, that right. That's your business. But do you find it for, you know, the masses easy to open up a business? I've had guests on here from Ghana. I've never heard of a problem, but things mm -hmm. change in the government. More requirements mm -hmm. get, you know, called. Um, are, do you find it easy for a foreigner to be able to open up a business in Ghana and, and are they taxed any differently when they come through your program? Because coming through your program, I'm telling everyone is the right way. So they don't, <laughs> they don't get um, duped and get what we call 419. Right, right, right. Well, you know, as I told you, we work with a network. So we have people, I mean, I have never uh, at this point and stage uh, outside of Black women abroad, and I've done a jewelry business before. I've not been duped uh, myself. And, and it is very possible um, to start a business, start an NGO. And we have successful examples of individuals who've done that and been doing it for years and years. For example, uh, one of the most successful African-American businesswomen who's been here for so many years, um, uh, Mrs. Uh, Mona Boyd, she's the head of Avis Land Tours. So she literally bought a franchise of Avis here. Um, recently, uh, when uh, Madam Vice President was here, I'm aware that um, she was taking care of the, and providing uh, vehicles uh, for all of the State Department uh, folks uh, who were here and, and the various officials. I mean, she's had a very, very successful run in business. Those are the type of individuals that we have connections to. I have uh, a very dear friend who runs this uh, NGO called Basics International, Patricia Wilkins from New York. She's been running this NGO for so many years. Um, she has established quite a presence with her NGO um, in Ghana and knows the ins and outs of establishing a nonprofit in this country. So I say through us, we have the connections to the individuals who've done it and have done it well and done it right. So yes, you can open a viable uh, business that can be successful in country. And when you do hit her up, make sure you guys file your taxes, especially you Americans. You got to pay everywhere. I don't want right. to hear, oh, Kellen, I hit her up. I made a business because I was supported by a Malaysian businessman who gave me X <laughs> amount of dollars. Right. You know, we, we don't want any other, um, right. we don't need any, any, any stories. But right. um, with, with that, can you tell the people a community give back? that you are doing or that you would like to do in the future with the paradise life that you are living? What are, <laughs> so what, what would you like me to share? I don't think I got that, Kelly. Uh, what your community give back is 
or one that you would like to do in the future? Well, you know, I think around having attended an all women's college, I'm, I'm very big on the empowerment of women and girls. And I think, you know, through Black Women Abroad, um, we're trying to set an example for others that um, they can go out of their comfort zone and they can make an impact um, in the larger society and world and also bring back those cross-cultural skills and competencies to build capacity in their own nation. So I think that is kind of the what I hope to um, achieve, I believe, through the work I've done so far um, in international education and study abroad. I've been able to make some difference there through Black women abroad. I think we're doing that on a daily basis and we'll continue to do that. We also have great love for the HBCUs from whence we have come, right? And to ensure that HBCU students um, have these experiences and become global leaders, uh, leaders, of course, uh, in their own communities uh, back in the States, but also to make a difference and impact worldwide is very critical. So that is what I think we hope to do. Raising funds, scholarship money um, for students to have opportunities uh, both in Africa and outside of the continent is critical. And I think that that's important for us because we see how much it has impacted our lives um, and how we've been able to give back through uh, many different sectors of the society uh, based on the international experiences that we have had. We've been able to exchange ideas, thoughts, and make change, effect change in communities, in Ghana, in Rwanda, in Ethiopia, um, and the list goes on. And I think that, and I hope, and my prayer is that we will continue to be able to, to do that. And I think, winding down because I want you to have a podcast I can tune in to hear updates you know that no <laughs> pressure um all you have to do is film yourself on YouTube maybe you join a, net, a network can you tell for the, the the parents out there the um benefit of your father bringing you to Africa for the oh. first time and how just you know your tra travels as a child sparked what you know it's yeah. like I've told you before it's like your job was made for you it you right. know I just want to push yeah. the importance sure. of exposing our children yeah. to more than cheerleading football right. um quirking rap music right. and, but, <laughs> and travel being the best teacher in my opinion <laughs> sure. I mean well we all know that these type of experiences open our eyes our minds our hearts to the world um, and definitely my early experiences, I was also one time very focused in Europe, uh, Southern Europe. So I started um, studying abroad in Spain, but that experience of just learning another language is so critical. We need to know languages outside of our own. That's the way the world works, right? To ensure that we can communicate across many different countries and cultures. I was um, leading a discussion today with this HBCU group and I had some of my Ghanaian colleagues with me and then I had one from Central African Republic and one from Cameroon. I think amongst the three of them, there were like 15 different languages spoken. And then I asked my young people from the HBCUs, how many languages do you all speak? And they said, one, English. 
And while English does make the world move around in many ways, and it's the dominant language, it's not the only one. And so I think sensitizing our children early to the importance of learning another language, of going outside of their comfort zones, as I keep reiterating, is very, very important because the world doesn't operate from a Western lens. It does not operate from an American lens, right? We represent a very small part of the world, right? And so it's, it's critical to, to be able to travel, see, exchange experiences. And definitely, I think that that impacts who we are. So my father, very early on, beyond going to Spain, we went over to Morocco. That was my first taste of Africa. We later went on to Egypt. We saw the Great Sphinx, the Great Pyramids. We saw Kenya, the Great Rift Valley, Ethiopia, Lucy, the, the first bones of civilization. And to know that through my DNA, I'm connected somehow, right? To the continent, to the early beginnings, all of us, humanity, to that Rift Valley is very powerful, is very, very meaningful. I think that our kids need to um, learn to appreciate their identity and also um, to feel empowered from that identity. You know, we built the pyramids, <laughs> right? Um, and trips where you actually see what you're reading in books come alive is very impactful. I just did a mommy daughter trip with my little girl, she's 11, to Egypt. And she's learning about the, the early tools of civilization, Mesopotamia, Rift Valley, all this. And there we were, right in front of King Tut, right in front of Nefertiti at the Egyptian Museum right, in Cairo. And it was like, wow, this is impactful. Mommy, is this real? You know, and so I think that that makes her more of a global citizen, um, having a greater view of the world and also her position within it as a person of color. It's not like we didn't invent anything. We invented the beginning of civilization, right? And it started right here, where? On the African continent. And so I think having these experiences is very powerful. I spoke with the group again today they said, well, mom, how is the uh, situation with safety, security? I mean, I remember they said exactly like this, y'all got guns? <laughs> and I said, well, the police do, the military do, but your average citizen does not. We are not dealing with gun violence. We're not dealing with going to Starbucks, what do they say, while being Black, drinking our coffee while being Black, riding our bike while being Black. No, you see humanity because the president is black, the vice president is black. You see a sea of color, a sea of people of color that is very invigorating. You don't have to think about your color because we are all in a world that is the same and empowered and confident. So I think, you know, looking sometime at our school systems and so on in the United States, look, I'm not saying the Ghanaian school system is perfect. It also has its flaws, but being able to see a teacher that looks like yourself, we got that experience, didn't we, Kellen, at HBCUs? It yes. built our confidence, didn't it? To do yes. what we do today, right? Yes. These kind of early travel experiences can be transformative, right? And, and really, really build future leaders. And so I also wanted to say my you know, affiliation currently 
with the HBCU Africa Education Coalition, which seeks to send 100,000 young people of African descent from the continent to HBCUs and from the HBCUs to the continent. How powerful is that if we could have a pan-African study abroad model of exchange? We merit that, we deserve that. We should give our children that opportunity and those experiences if we can do it. And there are lots of scholarships now. There's lots of funding out there. You just have to look at it to get those early experiences. And then if we have the opportunity to go on to university, there's experiences that exist like Hayek is trying to promote to give our kids that, 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 that worldly experience and also that belief in self that we really need. And we're losing a lot of that in the United States. Even respect. I told the young people today, this is a very respectful uh, culture. You don't just walk into a room, right? And say nothing. That's been happening in the US. I've seen it. We've seen it sometimes with some of the kids here, particularly those who've been exposed to the West. They come in, I need this. There's no good morning, good afternoon, good evening. But the culture says we must be respectful and exchange pleasantries before we begin into business. Doesn't it, Kellen? Isn't it like that? You ain't never lied. And that right. is that would get you beat in back in the day. You didn't speak. Right. You come into a right. room and you don't speak and you want to go in the refrigerator? Right. And you want to go in a cabinet <laughs> to get what? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Woo. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, and... Yeah, and even uh, the usage of titles, some people don't like them, but here it's, it's, it means respect, professor so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, auntie, not calling people directly through the first name. That's how children here are raised, you understand? Like my daughter couldn't dare say, oh, Kellen, oh no, that would be a problem. Mr. Kellen, how are you? You know, and that is the foundation. Right. And a lot of our HBCUs have promoted that over years. And I took a lot from that experience. And so that helped me and eased in my transition coming here, where the respect continues even to greater heights. This is real game you guys can use. Again, I can't wait for her own YouTube and podcast. I'm going <laughs> to keep pushing it. It's an open invite. You guys know I, I don't say something without having a solution for it. So mm -hmm. you guys, make sure you tap in. Any last words for the people? Oh, well, it's been a joy, a pleasure, and my privilege to speak with you. I think you have a wonderful show. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about my experiences from the early days to current days. And I hope that some of my words have been helpful. Some of my experiences um, will be impactful for your audience. And you know, I wanna encourage everyone um, if they have the opportunity to come over to the African continent, to witness all that we have, um, to go back to a culture of respect and dignity. Not that we've lost all of it in the US, but some things have been eroded in our society. And so I think, coming over here as a reminder of our cultural roots and our tradition. Um, and it's also a beautiful experience. It's an inspirational experience. It's an encouraging experience. And I think it's an experience that more young people need and not just young people, 
all generations can benefit, as I saw from my 79-year-old auntie who just made the journey, my Aunt Donna, to Ghana, and she has literally been transformed from the experience. She said it was one of the most powerful, impactful journeys she's ever done in her life. And she thanks God that she had the opportunity to see Ghana at this stage of life. And so let's make sure that we all make that journey. Um, of course, through the work that I am doing, I'm always encouraged and inspired to share tips and thoughts. And I hope you also consider checking out Black Women Abroad, the scholarships that we're doing, as well as the work we're doing. And hopefully that book will come sooner than later, blackwomenabroad.com and blackwomenabroad.org, uh, which is our scholarship program. So thank you so much for the opportunity once again. And I look forward to being on the Kellen Show again, if you have me. Anytime, and I look forward to you saying, now, what were you saying about podcasting or YouTubing? You guys have been blessed by the game. Make sure you share this with somebody. It will change yeah. their life. Be blessed, y'all. Gabiam from the Diaspora channel, a lover of Africa. If you love Africa as well, and you would love to visit one day or to relocate to Africa, there is a course out there for you. And this course is my first trip to Africa, a course well put together by a seasoned traveler, Kellen Cash Coleman. This course is designed to prepare you to travel better, which will save you both time and money. And the great news is this course costs only $20, guys. It can't get any better. Go right now and enroll to this course at www.diversifygame.com. Don't miss out. Are you tired of the violence? Tired of the injustice? Police brutality, rampant discrimination, lack of gun control in this failed by a socioeconomic experiment called America? Or maybe you need a break from the relentless grind and want to regain control of your destiny, your wealth, your health, and your purpose. Diversifiedgame.com has the right course for you. Prepare for my first trip to Africa. Looking to reconnect with your roots, start a new business, or just a fresh start. Africa, AKA the motherland, is waiting. Don't let the Chinese and the Mazungus have the fun and also take over the motherland. From Cairo to Mombasa, from Dakar to Cape Town, Africa has something for everyone from business opportunities to the most amazing people, safety, leisure, and landscapes. The opportunities abound. It is time for the diaspora to reconnect with their roots. Time to reconnect with the birthplace of humanity. Africa is the last frontier. Get your head in the game and reclaim your legacy. The writing is on the wall. 
Babylon is falling. Give up the stress, grind and violence inflicted on our people on this continent and prepare for a journey of restoration and joy by connecting with the land of your ancestors. Check out our new course and kick off your adventure at diversifiedgame.com.